0: you look up any of their goaltending um, advanced analytics or even just analytics in general, they're horrible. Ranta has the third worst expected goals against um and goals saved above expected. Which... Look at our girl. I know. I mean, you got to whip up the advanced analytics. I mean, it takes three buttons to find this on moneybook.com and everyone's still like pretending it doesn't exist.
1: hey everybody welcome back to the too many men podcast my name is allison lucan and i am delighted don't think we were going to let this monumental moment pass usually i talk about how brilliant this person is more incredible content coming out this week already i loved the most recent story on the genius behind social media content on teams but The most important thing is that last week was this wonderful human's celebration of gracing us with her presence. Happy official belated birthday, Sarah Sivian. How are you?
0: Oh, thank you. I'm 30. Yeah, I thought I'd turn back to being in my 20s the week after, but that didn't happen. Now it's just like full speed ahead into the 30s. Here we go.
1: The 30s are great. Also,
2: Sarah.
0: They better be. That's a threat.
2: Yeah, right. It was, yeah. that was like for me, the one I dreaded the most. I'm like, I thought 27 was bad, 28, and you hit 30, and it's like, ugh. I'm, it was I'm like, not, I don't know. I didn't think.
0: I know, because I didn't think I'd ever be that person. I'm very like pro-aging, even with, when it comes to like, I don't know, I think social media is sick in the way it's like you die at 25. And, like, you gotta, like, <laughs> and we're it. no better. Yeah, We're no better. <laughs> NHL people were like, oh, you signed a contract at 30, you're done. Yeah, best shape of his life is past, but um, that's just not how I'm going to live. But now I feel like it will be even better to be 31 because you yes. finally get over it but let's not like wish our lives away so I know I'm
2: sorry that. I'm not ready to be there I'm I am a dread every birthday person cry every birthday person me too like 30 though I will say the one birthday I didn't cry I expected it all day my friends were like you're gonna you yeah and I didn't so maybe it's a new leaf for me <laughs> a leaf a leaf
1: oh my god <laughs> and also Sarah Merry Swiftmas to you it
0: is Taylor's birthday and and, season
1: and the film is out if, for those of you who haven't yet seen Spend it. Spend more I mean, money. <laughs> listen, am I going to?
0: I absolutely yes. am going
1: to. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we would not be too many men, even though she's already joined us with. Here we are, like I'm in the midst of a game last night, and she's keeping us up to date with league news and all that's going on. There's no one more informed in all things hockey. There's no one more creative in all things outside of hockey what a balanced life you live and also <laughs> happy Hanukkah Shayna Goldman Shayna, say hi hi and thank you thank you for acknowledging my very important holiday
2: even though no players this year have dreidels on the ice or dreidel suits where's Zach Hyman what are we doing
0: oh, come on
2: I know Zach Friend didn't listen pod. to the pod last year we know he's listened since he's a late joiner same with Adam Fox I guess they missed the December episodes
0: yeah oh, come on guys
2: <laughs> i don't know why i'm such an asshole about this stuff but like i i feel like my this is like hanukkah erasure constantly
0: yeah it would be cool to see just like we know there are some jewish guys in the league and it's something i know as a kid i would have felt like it would have been cool to see some like a little gesture
1: just absolutely. a little bit it would make even up for a little menorah lining a on a suit yep. maybe or something of this mm-hmm. nature would be cute absolutely we celebrate all holidays. Happy Hanukkah to all of our listeners who celebrate Hanukkah. We hope you have a wonderful festival of lights. Okay, Sarah. We don't have the true. In- we don't have the true intro yet. It's coming. The listener who set it up for us. Trust me, it's coming. What time is it, Sarah? Can we
0: just say that every time. <laughs> like we don't have it yet. That's the intro now. <laughs> it is time for bit. Oh, news what an intro
1: tremendous content all right we have so much to talk about because we were not with you last week uh here we are first quickly um all of the nhl came to seattle while i conveniently was not in seattle for the board of governors uh meeting two days of important content maybe one of the quieter board of governors meetings um compared to others but that's okay Perhaps the biggest takeaway is that the league has announced that the cap will be going up next season by more than a million dollars. We've seen those baby steps happening. Um, The expected cap for next season is $87.7 million. Shana, you are our capologist, our contract queen. Tell us what you think about finally seeing a significant increase in the amount of money that teams are going to be able to spend after surviving through the COVID years and the payback of hockey-related revenue by the players.
2: It's so exciting that there's going to be more revenue because like, it's it hopefully will lead to more superstars getting more money, which is what we talk about constantly who will screw this up first and overdo it. And then, you know, you don't get the cap increases from there because the NHL doesn't project their revenue very well, but like this number, I think publicly, a lot of us anticipated. And I know some teams had more cautious and more skeptical projections because you literally never know with the NHL, but it's, it's encouraging. It's, it's a step in the right direction after the last few years. So we'll see where this goes. Like we've been seeing a lot of big contracts, like, you know, our friend Austin Matthews, big deal because of course the Leafs and he was able to have that big price jump. So we'll see who
1: else joins in. Sarah, to that point, maybe you don't have an answer to this yet, but was there a a team or a player where you thought of instantly when you heard there was going to be more money to spend
0: next year? I mean, any of the young guys right now, especially with the story that I just wrote about social media and how they market themselves, they're already like, not huge superstars like Trevor Zegers, maybe who has all these brand deals as opposed to somebody like who might be a better player right now, but is older and, and doesn't, it might be a bigger household name or should be, but doesn't have those things. And I'm like, okay, they're going to start needing like more money once they're actually super, like, I don't know. You just think about it like that. I think any guy on an ELC right now in the future, I think about how that's going to change everything, but it's still, oh, it doesn't sit right with me with a league full of billionaire owners that the cap is not at least at 100 million I think that just is like the bare minimum but at the same time I'll take the four million at the way like everything has been climbing (laughs) and every time I talk about this LeBron like I absolutely love him and he'll tell me like the players agree to this and it's kind of like part of their escrow and stuff too so it's not like the 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 evil league is like whatever like they all wanted it to be more fair I guess but I do think that kind of I don't want to say they were tricked into it like they're smart people at the NHLPA but I do think it's like tied to other stuff and that it's like okay agree to this and then we'll give you this type thing where it shouldn't have to be that but nevertheless here we are they
2: need that like the thing is though they need that that balancing system so that's right it just feels like someone should have been like okay can we make sure your projections are more, more accurate for spending ahead of time. So it wouldn't be as big of tra- like, it's like the yeah. mechanisms around it, it feels like are so fucked up. And I, I wonder if we see that change with the next CBAs, with the new, you know, new leadership there. Like, I'm so curious if that's something that changes. Cause I feel like escrow is something that always comes up and it's like, well, why are the players getting screwed? Like now there's someone different advocating for them. Will that change this?
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. And I mean, <clears throat> again, to be fair, this was all kind of thrown off. Well, it was in fact thrown off by COVID and the fact that this is a gate driven league and there was literally no gate for whatever a year and a half basically so wait
0: there was a global pandemic i i I don't know if you heard i think we started (laughs) a podcast during it it's true all
1: right it's gone (laughs) let's move on we have um a couple injuries significant um first two that are hitting calgary um and the the first one comes in net where jacob markstrom gets a broken finger and it always throws me crazy when you think about the fact there's the hand throws me crazy when you think about the fact (laughs) that a broken finger is so significant to what these guys do in terms of executing their jobs but he's out with a broken finger um since his last game which was december 2nd the team has just one win in five tries dan vladar and little baby wolf coming up to tend the net but then also they lose chris tanev um Monday which is hurtful not only to the team's performance on the ice but also to the trade market many of us have thought that the Flames are kind of moving gracefully but perhaps quickly into a sell now phase with some of their stars two big pieces out of the lineup for Calgary but again I mean is Calgary gonna go for it what do you make of this whole situation Sarah
0: I know it might be time to just Every time I say that though, a team comes back when I'm like, it might be time to just whatever you have to. I will say the flames have built a team that is not reliant on two people, especially after Mark Sturm's season last season. So you kind of think maybe this is an opportunity to turn it around in a way where it's like, okay, they're really not here right now. So let's Jonathan Huberto, like pick it up. Like and he kind of has been, I, I, he just, it's always going to be that ridiculous contract. You're going to have to be creating miracles for this team to work. So, you know what? I actually take back what I said. And I said they didn't, they built this team around a lot of people because it's literally his $11 million contract. But it's he's still not good. So it's like the, the rest of the people need to pick up slack. I don't know. I bend my mind into a pretzel talking about the Flames. It must be such an interesting team to cover.
1: They're certainly not boring. And, and Shayna, they're they're built around one big star, but it's also partially that some of their other big pieces have said they're not willing to stick around going all the way back to Johnny Goudreau. What do you make of the state of the Calgary Flames? Is this just a bigger story that we have to watch what they decide to do and when? Or do these two injuries significantly change the trajectory of what this team is going to do?
2: Um, okay, wait, one thing before that, you know, I said the hand raised thing. Did you want to face some, you can do a thumbs up and it pops up. Oh, that's very exciting. There's know. a little thumbs up bubble. It's very cute. I thought of you. Um, anyway, to less important things. Uh, I think the thing is like, we kind of saw the flames trend up a little bit. I think Markstrom was such a big part of it. Like he's been excellent so far this season. It's great for him to have that bounce back year after what seemed like such a trying season for him. So the injury is a big blow to him, but also to the team. And like, we're seeing these. Third period collapses, and I'm not faulting the goaltending for it. Like, Dan Vladar, I don't think is some, like, oh, my God, amazing goaltender, and he's not meant to be, right, on this team like he was a backup or a third string when Wolf eventually takes over. And, you know, like you saw that game against Carolina where Wolf was really good after a shaky first period and they were able to have that comeback. But then you look at the last two nights and you go, is this what the team is? That collapse against Colorado was really tough. And then last night against the Golden Knights, again, they were, you know, leading in the third, fall apart, Yes, they forced it to overtime. They still lost. So I feel like they're going to get a hard look at what they really are without Markstrom there. And that should tell management what to do. But it's such like a complicated situation because you don't know if you should wait to trade players. Like we would make the argument Zadorov was traded too soon for the return that they got when the market will probably be better for him towards the deadline. Teams always overspend. And then you have Tanev like. I feel like this is another injury scare. It's the second one this season. You have to think, do you move him sooner or later? You could try to wait to the deadline and try to get a first round pick out of you know out of him. But what if he gets hurt again? Like You're not going to tell him to play his game differently. He's not going to do it. So it's just like an awkward position for the team to be. I think they just need to be realistic about where they are and try to figure out a path forward. And I don't think staying put is going to do it at this point. You have so many big contracts. You have to figure out like what works, what doesn't work. So if this next stretch without Markstrom doesn't tell them what they really are then I don't know what they're looking at
1: it's going to be interesting to watch for sure it's it seems like just accept what's happening and and make the moves but we'll we'll see what they end up doing one more injury to cover here is that the Winnipeg Jets lose Kyle Connor from a knee-on-knee hit from Ryan Strome and we're going to get into some other issues around discipline later on in our hockey talk, but no supplemental discipline on Strom, But Kyle Connor is out six to eight weeks. Now we talked about the Flames maybe kind of struggling, but the Jets have actually been on a roll and have been making a case to be a team once again that should be in the conversation, winning four of their last five. How significant is it that the Jets are now without Kyle Connor, Sarah Sivian?
0: Yeah, that's brutal. He's been having like not a comeback season, but a I'm still here season. (laughs) Like he, we always forget him in the list of really good goal scorers, but he's, he's up there and he's had a few mediocre years, but he picked it up this year and it really, really sucks that this has happened, but any good team is going to have to deal with adversity. And we're going to see what the jets are actually made of.
1: Shayna, did you like the hit? Did you like the non-call? Did the team, the officials, the league, I should not say the team, the league and the officials handle this correctly in your opinion?
2: No, um, I know that like neon knees can be like incidental and it can happen. I didn't love this one at all. And I think it's, I don't think it's like, oh, it's a star player. You have to handle it differently. But like, if you're not going to hear when our, are you going to I feel like it's such a blow like this could change the Jets entire season so it feels like I feel like if you're a Jets fan you probably want to see something change and something you know come up the situation just for the fact like you lost your star player for six to eight weeks that's terrible for them and yes the the Western Conference is a little more wide open but this could be crushing but like just the play itself like with Strom I I just didn't like it I feel like they need to take injuries seriously. They need to take these plays a little more seriously. And you need to either throw a player out of the game or, you know, like, take the... Like, people are going to be pissed about this. You don't want to leave the opportunity for people to handle the situations themselves. And it just, like, you know, all went into this, like, weird weekend trend that, I I don't know, I feel like, if anything, the league should have been extra strict this weekend considering how things kept developing.
1: Yes, well, the... The net net here is that Winnipeg is going to have one more role to fill as they wait for Kyle Connor to return. We'll see what we want to talk about now is off the ice. And my goodness, folks, not only were there a ton of games last night, all at the same time, we're recording on Wednesday. So we're talking about Tuesday's slate, but in the midst of this, everyone decided to make like big decisions. Uh, The first one came during the games and In two almost simultaneous announcements, which was really kind of bizarre, Um, first, Ted Leonsis, the owner of the Washington Capitals, announced that they are in conversation to move the arena to Northern Virginia. Meanwhile, at the same time, the mayor of Washington, D.C. is announcing a $500 million um, commitment to upgrade the arena. So it's not official, but now this is a conversation and I'm going to say, first and foremost, as a former Washington DC resident, I think that if they move the facilities for this team, it is going to be a stupid decision. This is an arena that has brought a cool part of the city to life. I love that it's there. I love that it's of the city in the city. And let us stop this trend of taking the NHL out to suburbs where like everything looks the same and you're not really getting a feel for the market that you're in. But we'll say the first thing that Stephen texted me was like, this is a stupid location for them to pick. But I digress. Um, Obviously not done. Obviously, this is something we see in a lot of organizations and industries where the negotiation is happening publicly so that each side can try and get what they ultimately want. Ted Leontis had already requested having upgrades to the existing facility. Sarah, I know you have thoughts. All I'm going to do is give you the floor.
0: Oh my God, it's horrible. This is like one of three arenas I would recommend not moving. Like it is. I can't describe how perfect in location it is in D.C. Like you said, it like, like revived this area. And D.C. has great public transportation, like one of few American cities that have that. And it's like you give a per- perfect train, like there's a good stop, There's it's walkable, it's accessible for a lot of people who do not have cars in the metro D.C. area. It's like, why? oh, it makes me really pissed off. There's that, and then there's also the element that, I just saw this morning that um, the Wizards and the Capitals will be moving out there if this goes through and they will be getting upgraded facilities. But um, the Mystics, the women's and the WNBA team will be staying at Capital One. And it's like they don't get the upgrades. So it's like the two, that's horrible. Even though I don't want any of the teams to move out, why can't you just upgrade the arena there? Because it really is a perfect location. You can go get a coffee, you can get it's just so walkable and so DC, like you said, and you're moving it out to an affluent suburb again. It's like, what there's already enough easy access ways for affluent people to go in and watch, like if that's what you're craving. So you're just making this inaccessible to everybody else.
1: Absolutely. I couldn't agree. I mean, look, I will say the visiting team locker room at that arena is pretty sucky. So yes, things do need to be upgraded, Yes. But keep it downtown. Keep it downtown. Shayna, what's your vote on this situation?
2: Yeah, it feels like that's an arena that you don't need to move it or tear down. Like the bones are there, I think, for potential. And it's so different than other situations. Like you look at a team like Calgary and there might be a conversation about an entirely new arena. Or you look at a team like the Islanders, how they went from the Coliseum to UBS. Like they needed... The league felt and the team felt a brand new facility. I don't think that's the case here. And when you have the location that you do, that's so convenient with the public transportation. Like that's such a big part of for of getting of getting to games of accessibility. Like I feel like it it might sound like okay, Captain Obvious. Do you know how many teams and arenas don't have that? That you only have the option of driving, or you only have the option of you know one or the other. Like it's amazing that they have both. It's so convenient to get to. It's in the city. It's a different vibe versus this commercialized area, which don't get me wrong, can be great. Like to make a whole facility out of it and to have a field or, you know, a convention center and stores. Well, some of them will do like a, a, like um, I'm thinking like baseball stadiums. Like they might have like a a baseball field that like kids can play on that's right outside the real stadium. Like things like that. Like it's a big, (laughs) shut up. It's a good thing. I know it's like, it makes sense in my head. Okay. I'm just not great at translating it apparently, but like you have this shopping arena, like you have everything and that can be great and wonderful to revitalize an area, but this isn't an area that needs this revitalization. You got that already by putting the arena where it is. And I'm not saying if they're saying like, oh, well, Northern Virginia can use that. Like that's great and wonderful in Northern Virginia, but Get your own team, figure it out for yourself. (laughs) It just feels like the authenticity of the Capitals arena. And yes, it's not like every single other arena because it's in the city, but this is what makes it special. You're just going to completely strip away for more money and with this opportunity. So it, it just feels like, obviously every decision is driven by money. Duh, we're not idiots, but like it just feels so greedy this one versus what's going on. And maybe they we're asking for money for all this time and you know, it's a little too late. Who's to say like, I feel like this situation hasn't been dragged out publicly as much until now. Yeah.
0: Just but, randomly was there.
2: Yeah. It's like, here it is. We're throwing up in your face. Here's all the information. So like, you know, maybe that was a thing. Maybe they were waiting, but it just feels like this is a step in the wrong direction. And it's not like, I <laughs> I don't want to say like, Oh, the capitals don't have some, I feel like they're not, it's not the Leafs, the Canadians, the Bruins that you, no matter where they are for, 41 games people will go to like I don't know if that's the case here like I don't know you know how many people are going to say well we don't want to go to games as often as we normally would now that it's in northern Virginia versus in the middle
1: of the city I it's <clears throat> you should have all been part of our our text chat group last night where we were explaining geography of Washington DC to Shana because she didn't but but listen it is sucky when people I know like bits I, I know I've bits I've been there I've done it I just like but I think it's crappy it to the go. point of that conversation. Like it's crappy when people come to DC and they're like, oh, we're going to see the NFL team. And they're like, it's not actually in DC. No, it's not actually in DC. It's in Maryland. Yeah. So like keep these teams in DC. And everywhere I yes. have lived for the past 20 years, I've lived in the city. And people, if you're afraid to be in the city, strip it away, go down, experience urban life. It's so cool. It's so fun. I'm All over the world, we have such cool cities embrace what makes your area special and keep the teams there i say all right also with the players like how
2: many players don't live in the city and they've seemed completely fine with like the commute to it right like how many players live in maryland or in virginia and they're that's the lifestyle they want like right and the beauty you can get
1: to the arena i mean listen we've talked about this for other reasons players will play in many different places for many different reasons. And the commute of an NHL player is often counter to the commute of a nine to five person who works. So they don't have necessarily the same traffic struggles that some of us have going into DC. And again, that's why I live in the city when I live there because you are in the city, you don't have the traffic issues. Imagine. Okay. Let's move on. This happened last night too. And I was more shocked because I was like, didn't we all just accept that the blues were going to be what they are this year? I didn't understand that we were like frustrated or disappointed in the fact that they weren't going to be way high top contending, but after a fourth straight loss, Craig Berube is out as head coach. They have named Drew Bannister, who was the head coach of their AHL team as the interim head coach. And when I say interim (laughs) Let me put an underline and an asterisk on that because in a, wow, you said that publicly and on the record quote, (laughs) the the Blues GM said, Bannister is, I'm reading from the reporting of Lou Korak, (laughs) credit to them, Uh, Bannister is strictly here on an interim basis Search for permanent coach is underway. I mean, my God, if you want to tell the team more directly, don't really have to listen to this guy because he's not going to be here long. I don't even know. Sarah, what do you make of the Blues? Do you Did they have to make a decision? And if they did, did they make the right one?
0: I know that was hilarious. They were like, fuck this guy. Um, Don't worry. He sucks. (laughs) Like we will be getting a different guy who is so much better. It was so unnecessary. Of all the times you could fire Craig Berube to fire him now is just, I wonder what inside the office to make that decision was like, like, I don't know. I guess they are doing kind of better than I I expected. I I guess I expected them to be more bottom barrel and maybe they're like, okay, let's try to go for it one more time. But I think the guy is like really like him so i'm kind of confused like who do they who can they get right now and i saw a funny tweet that was like oh well now they're going to win the cup because it's like (laughs) every time something like a coaching change with the blues happens and they go on this losing streak then they end up winning and then winning the cup. like the last time they won the cup it's like they need a practice fight they need to fire their coach and then they're going to win the cup so everybody watch out
1: dana what do you make of this move
2: it's kind of funny like I wrote about like coaching hot seats at the end of November and I had Bruby on it because I think of the coaches that could get fired like I feel like going into the year he was on the hot seat they changed out his assistant coaches and I think we're giving him another shot at this and then if it didn't work out like obviously it was going to fall on him and there were so many like blues fans that were like that'll never happen you don't know what you're talking about blah 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 and it's like I don't like he's been there for a while at the end of the day. NHL coaches don't last for a very long time in 99% of situations and teams will feel like they need a new voice or a GM will fire a coach to save his own ass. And that is what happened here. Like could Ruby have been fired? Yeah, absolutely. Do I think he was like some great coach? No, not at all. I don't think he's like innovative and I think they need a different approach. And you see some players haven't responded super well to him that they need to be game breakers like Cairo, but did he build this roster? Did he build a blue line that has, five players with no movement or no trade clauses that they cannot do anything about no that would be management so i it's a little confusing now like why didn't you just do this over the summer honestly because i know like yes you lost last night's game and that was tough but what where did you think this team was going to go and it does seem like management has like unreal expectations like for where he expects the blues to go when it's like, you didn't build a team that's built for the playoffs. You didn't build a contender. And last year you seemed perfectly fine accepting that you're like rebuilding on the fly. And then you didn't do anything to further it after moving out. Play like, I don't understand anything that they're doing. I don't know what they think they're going to be able to do with a third coach in one season, but go, go off St. Louis. Like, I don't know. I would just try to be focusing on the future and have like a, maybe they just think he's not a, a developmental coach, but it doesn't even seem like that's the case. It seems like they think they need to go to the playoffs and Bruby's not going to take them there. So sure. Armstrong. Okay.
1: So we will see uh, what happens with St. Louis. Like Sarah said, maybe this is cup team 2.0. Who's to say uh, we have one quick update slash entry on the shit list and not a ton to discuss here because these events have already happened, but just because it continues to blow my mind Uh, we saw the fiasco with Marc-Andre Fleury's Native American heritage mask um, where basically the league was like absolutely not and the team absolutely not and then he wore it and everyone's like yeah that's fine Um, just in an update we're gonna punish you we're gonna punish you well we're not Philip Grubauer wore a Native American mask uh, for the Indigenous People's Night in Seattle and that's apparently fine because he's wearing it more than once so we've gone from you can't wear these things at all, but oh, if you're going to wear it more than once, then it's fine. So I don't even know. I don't know if we have anything else we want to say on this, but here we are.
2: I want to see a goalie wear a rainbow mask in the NHL go, sure, you can wear it if you wear it more than once. Like, come on, what are we
1: doing here? <laughs> Listen, I don't know. Um, we, of course, when we talk about teams that are on our radar, Shana, what do we have to talk about? We got to talk about how it affects the leafs. Yes, we do. Folks, the leafs continue to deliver the headlines we need. Oh my gosh, you guys. It's page six. Welcome to the six. See the pun I made there? You know, page six, the gossip page in yes. this. Yes. Yeah, it's just not. Okay, it was funny in my mind. Here's our page six headlines. You each can pick one and talk about why it's the most interesting thing happening with the Leafs right now. Um, they lose their goaltender Joseph Wool to a high ankle sprain. So now we have to see what Samsonov plus Martin Jones will do. That's headline number one, headline number two in high-end drama, former captain of the islanders, now captain of the leafs, John Tavares. Goes back to the island and scores both .999 and 1,000 versus his former team that he left so salaciously a few years ago. But the Islanders come back to win in overtime and headline number three, ancillary to the Leafs, the Drake curse strikes again. With Otani not signing in Toronto with the Blue Jays. Sarah, what is the most exciting, interesting, ridiculous thing about the Leafs this week?
0: Drake post. I mean, it's like you're Drake. You have to know something about the situation or like you have to know enough to not post. Like, why playing the Drake curse continued? That's hilarious. But the Tavares situation too. I'm going to just go over both. I loved that his dad was there and how fired up his dad was getting like, could this be more of a leap situation? Tavares ties it up with seconds left to go and they still lose. It's like everybody wins.
2: And then we get the discourse (laughs) about whether Tavares should be booed and stuff. When it's like, of course, he's going to be in the Islander fans. Like what do you want them to do in the middle of a game? Cheer for the guy. It's like their team could have lost the game right there. It's all ridiculous. But I'm sorry. I To me, nothing tops the Otani situation. First of all, that free agency chase, I, I love how big it is for someone like Otani. He's such a superstar. The fact that it involved a Toronto team, I couldn't have asked for more. I, I could not have asked for more. The whole situation was so convoluted. The stuff with like the fake flights and whatever, his agents did amazing work there. But it's funny because the Yankees were very busy before that with their like, we're going to buy up players and buy our team. So I sent a text to Jeff Merrick, who's a Le- uh, Leafs fan, a Blue Jays fan. And we go back and forth because he talks shit about the Yankees. And I was like, oh, like, I don't, I don't hear anything from you. Aren't you going to throw it in my face? Like, there they are again, buying up their players. And you're getting Otani. He's like, I don't want to jinx it. I literally said to him, like, you better hope that Drake doesn't post about this. And within <laughs> 24 hours, I see it on Instagram. I sent it to him immediately. He was like, fucking hell. Like, here we go. And... Just like that. Like, what are you doing, Drake? Have you not learned that it's not done yet? Why are you wearing an Otani jersey? Can you just wait four minutes? Like, please, did you have money on him signing somewhere else?
0: Ooh, maybe now we talk about the reverse Drake curse. Ooh, reverse Drake curse. You're meeting <inaudible> in the market. Wow. Yes, That's how I feel now that I gamble. <laughs>
1: we just galaxy, galaxy brain Drake's whole strategy right here on Too Many Men. You heard it here first. On page six. I'm gonna make it happen on people. page six on page six it's no it's like... i think that's it's cute i like page it, six, I like six, it. Six. <laughs> that's the sound effect we need <laughs> all right <laughs> let's move on to actual real hockey talk there's a few teams we want to highlight very quickly before we go into the officiating kind of disaster that was this past weekend But I want to give full marks to Sarah Sivian, who put this out on Twitter. I'm always going to call it Twitter. Uh, Earlier this week, everyone's been worried about the Carolina Hurricanes, a team that Sarah formerly covered. They had a really not great trip out to Western Canada. They've lost four of their last five and seem to be not the strong, commanding, confident team that they've always been. And Sarah, you just came out and said the thing it's goaltending. Tell us what's going on with Carolina.
0: It is. I mean, if you look up any of their goaltending advanced analytics or even just analytics in general, they're horrible. Ranta has the third worst expected goals against um, and goals saved above expected. Look at our
1: girl. I know. I mean, you
0: got to whip up the advanced analytics. I mean, it takes three buttons to find this on moneybuck.com and everyone's still like pretending it doesn't exist actually he's tied for second worst with um Jonas Johansson who we know that is not a great situation but negative 7.3 it's like he is not good Kuchekov is much better but still not great and it's like any time they won with Kuchekov and net, and he made a few amazing dramatic saves and that's exactly what the team needs like I'm sorry I love Ranta I loved covering him he's the nicest guy in the world he should never have been tasked with this and that wasn't the plan obviously Freddie Anderson went down you got to have a solution after that you can't just be like it's like too much pressure on Ranta who like at this point you're just happy to be there I think you need to go out get maybe a John Gibson and then Kachetkov as your backup it's like if you're seriously contending right now, like the the proof is in the pudding here and the team plays really scared in front of Ranta, and I don't blame them. It's like this whole effect. And then if you look for the past, I don't know, 10 years, there's never been a Hurricanes player that's in the top five in scoring. So it's like Rod Brennamore squeezes out and credit to these players that are kind of like there's not one superstar on this team ever. And you're not going to force somebody to just be a superstar. Like it doesn't work that way, but they all generally play like above expected. And it's like, you it's just not sustainable. You need like one superstar. Obviously Svechnikov is injured and keeps getting injured and it really, really sucks. But you need like one guy that's in the top five in scoring. If you're going to go to a cup, like it just kind of is what it is.
1: Kudos to Sarah. I have now heard the truth being adopted across the league. And even though she took a little bit of abuse for it, she is always right. Shayna, I want you- I can't believe it though. I'm sorry. I can't believe you take abuse for that take that they
2: need
0: a goaltender. It's not really abuse. It's just like the fan base and the general understanding from the league of the Hurricanes is just both equally like messed up. Like the fan base will react because people don't know about- um the hurricanes and they make things up but then the fan base will overreact and be like no actually we don't need a goaltender when it's like guys like objectively yes like these people might be getting the facts wrong but like let's all objectively look at the facts together it's kind of like they want to defend their team to media that doesn't really know. and there's been so many like incorrect reports that come out of like toronto and even the guy from st louis that incorrectly reports about the hurricanes constantly for some reason it's like they don't really have a dedicated reporter that is like independent of the team. So I get, I get it. I get it. But let's be real. The goaltending has been horrible. (laughs) Like It's just, it's what it is. And they want to defend the owner because the owner like didn't dish out money to get a top five goal scorer. And it's like, I get that you want to defend the owner because he kept the team in Raleigh, but let's kind of just like, it's, you were allowed to criticize the team a little bit. 100%.
1: Hundred percent. All right, Shane. I want you to comment on two West Coast teams before we get into our officiating discussion, and that is arguably the two hottest teams in the Pacific Division right now. If you look at points earned over the last ten, and that is the Los Angeles Kings, who actually finally lost a game on the road. We thought it wasn't possible anymore, but they are seven two and one in their last ten. And then are the San Jose Sharks actually good? Six, two, and two in their last 10, winning six of their last nine. Are both of these teams for real or is only one or neither?
2: The Kings are for real. Um, the Kings are better than I, I think I could have expected. Like, I thought they'd be good because they're so well-rounded. I'm surprised in how good, they, like, what is making them so good? I'm surprised how effective the goaltending is because I definitely had concerns about Cam Talbot at this point in his career and based on the last couple seasons and he's been like their penalty kill has been so good and he's a key reason why I feel like that's the one thing on the Kings I'm like maybe that can improve is like the play in front of the net while shorthanded but like everything else has been really top notch like they have three scoring lines they have a really great defense they have some of the best like shutdown pairs with Gavrikov who's been outstanding there and then you have steady goaltending like that's great I'm not worried about their two losses like they're for real but I am curious if Talbot at this point in his career and I feel I I feel like I'm so mean when I talk about him when I really do think he's been he's had a, a really you know strong career and everything I'm curious how he can maintain this in the long run uh I don't know like if that will fade if you know, the fact that the Kings have such a good defense will prop them up longer. Like, I'm curious about that and goaltending. We know nothing about the Sharks. I think everyone has just underestimated because they got off to a terrific start this season. And I feel like this last stretch, you saw that road trip they took and it's games against the Devils, the Islanders, the Rangers, the Red Wings. I feel like everybody jumps out to a lead and then kind of goes, well, it's the Sharks and just plays on their heels too much. And it feels like the Sharks are coming out with something to prove they're on the road and they're. Still bad defensively. They're still hit or miss in net. Like Blackwood's been better than I think I expected him to be. But offensively, like they're having a little bit more pop in their game when they're behind and we know how score effects work and it just feels like that extreme happening on a nightly basis because everyone's looking at it like, it's okay, it's the Sharks. Like, sorry, you still have to play 60 minutes against the Sharks. The Red Wings can tell you that. The Islanders can tell you that. And the Rangers almost lost to them and fell apart to them too, you know, with a a lackluster third period against them you know, the devil's game was just a goalie mess for them. So I think that was a little bit different, but yeah, I think that they're going to go back to being bad. They're going to stay bad. Um, We're not going to see this comeback ability, but I will say David Quinn with the Rangers did kind of instill a little bit more resilience in that team. I feel like, and I wonder if, if that's his effect here, because I don't, I feel like we don't know a ton about him as a coach, honestly, at this point, like what's his signature, but I wonder if this could be it.
1: So these are some teams we're watching these are some teams we may or may not believe in or we know why we don't there's more happening on the ice that we need to talk about that has nothing to do with the actual game being played and that is the weekend of hits and i spell that h-i-t-z-z-z-z-z-z-z there was a bit of a mess uh this weekend and it started to unfold and then it fell in rapid succession across the weekend Uh, First up, there was a hit on Brodine by Evander Kane. Brodine is now out week to week, I do believe. But no, that was a boarding call, no penalty on the play, no supplemental discipline. That was last Friday, but (laughs) retaliation, the Flames end up actually taking a penalty um, for retaliatory action. And again, Evander Kane skates away scot-free. So that happens. Then I do believe that that was on Saturday, Dylan Larkin and what was a very scary series of events. And first and foremost, we send our wishes for a complete and full recovery, not just to Dylan, but to his family who have had to deal with unimaginable difficulty in these recent times. Um, He takes a punch in the Ottawa game. He drops to the ice, clearly unconscious. David Perron comes in, doesn't really see what happens, but is going in defense of his captain goes off on Artem Zub in, and he has a hearing and he gets six games <laughs> for a suspension and, uh, of a suspension. They are appealing that ruling. So in the course, yes, David Prom went after the wrong player, but we still have some weird ruling compared to the hit on Brodine. And then on Sunday, Eric Branson takes a pretty hard boarding hit by Cous- Nick Cousins in the Florida game. There's a five minute major called it's reduced to a minor Erica Branson and I quote John Tortorella is that if the players don't get the support from the league they will police the game themselves goes back after cousins and just goes ham on him, he is kicked out of the game he has a hearing and he has a one game suspension. Each situation is different, but at the same time, each situation feels really inconsistent. It's going to be interesting to see how these kinds of calls are metered out going forward. Sarah, what were your big takeaways from this whole weekend of kind of chaos and what felt like games not being officiated the same way?
0: Well, that one quote says it all, that it's like if the league isn't going to protect their players with some blanket levels of protection, then they are going to take it into their own hands. And that's what they're encouraged to do. How many times do you hear the phrase that it almost becomes like when you look in the mirror and say a word so much that like it becomes fake? It's like players need to stand up for their stars. That's what was going on here all around. And you get, I mean, justifiably, yes, you get six games for what retaliation you should. But why are they being encouraged to do that in the first place? Why are they feeling pressure to do that in the first place. And why do they get criticized if they don't do that? Like the criticism for not doing that. And you hire people, you hire Ryan Reeves to do that. You hire so many people to do that. When they aren't doing that, you come at them. So maybe again, I always come back to this when we talk about any type of punishment and all of the inconsistencies with officiating and the rule book. It's just like, there needs to be some changes in the rule book.
1: Dana, is it changes in the rule book or is it changes in how the rules are implemented, implemented, and upheld on the ice? What did you like? What didn't you like about this weekend?
2: I think you need both. I think the rule book has a ton of flaws. It's not just with this, it's it's with like absolutely everything. You can go through every every single hit, right? And you can probably come out with five different answers for what should be called based on the rules. And I get that you need some great area right because every situation you can't outline it perfectly in the rule book it's it's impossible for 10 players being on the ice chaos everywhere like I understand that but it feels like the rules are leaving too much up to interpretation and the interpretation there's no precedent for it there's no consistency so it's like when you get something right even it's hey, you can now look at these plays. Because in the moment, it might be kind of tough, right? If you call it as a major, you get a chance to review it. So now you have the time to watch it from all different angles and process it. It blows my mind how different the results are almost every time that happens still. With these three, it's just, it makes no sense. Like, it's a bad look Friday night, the Brodeen injury. It's so unfortunate for the Wild to lose him. They're lucky like Faber still looks good the last couple games, but that is one of their top defensemen's out. And it shouldn't be someone like Ryan Hartman having to handle the situation because the referees didn't in the moment. But say that one's put aside, you would think there'd be something, like the referees are like, okay, we can't let the game explode like that again. Like we have to all, you all see what goes on in the league every night. For something to happen the next night is ridiculous and like the Perron situation was he right in going after Zub no do I understand what he did sure like you see your player down like that and you just react I felt bad for Zub just having to take the brunt of that but it comes out with little penalties on Joseph and you look at it and you're like first of all that's probably not good for him because the next time he goes out there you know someone's going to start with him you know throwing out Perron sure but why is everything else just okay why can you just punch play in the back of the head and that's okay it leads to it like I don't know I I feel like in that situation Prawn was going to react how he was going to react right the refs could have said hey we're calling stuff immediately but unless they jumped in a little bit more and there was something going on that everyone was drawn to which was Larkin on the ice like it's a little bit trickier to manage but then you come to Sunday and you're like what are we doing here I get the context is different in each in each situation but how is there no consistency? And in three straight nights, there are players feeling that they have to police themselves. And then you have hearings for two out of the three, for some reason, one of them's completely ignored and you have such different results. Like I I assume that Branson would get three games then if Perron got six. And we were talking about it. And was the difference them saying, well, Perron went after someone who didn't deserve it. And Branson went after someone who did deserve it and was the one involved. And that's the difference here. Like is that is that really what the conversation should be? Or should it be that Gabranston had no business going after cousins, but the players felt they had no choice but to because the referees didn't handle it? There's something I know people saying don't make the game soft, but there's something called game management. Why is that not happening? What is the purpose of a referee if not to manage the game?
1: We'll see. We will see. It's going it's going to Makes be you <laughs> it does make you think <laughs> it makes us think is it making them
2: think Good
0: question.
1: <laughs> and then i do want a, a point of clarity too just to be sure everyone doesn't misquote john tortorella john tortorella has said that often but he did not say that specifically in reference to this past weekend of events i don't want to get myself in trouble on that one all right y'all we are going to wrap of friend of the pod we love it friend of the pod get your torts <laughs> merch at too many men merch.com we have it that's a real thing <laughs> Um, all right, we're going to end this episode as we do every single one with our favorite game, and that is Fuck, Mary Kill. And in honor of the chaos in our nations, in America's capital, I should say, not our nations, because we love our listeners all around the world. Thank you. Uh, in the U.S. capital, we are going to fuck, Mary kill teams that we want to see change arenas. And Sarah, you are up first. Are you ready for your options? Yes. Here, here we go ottawa florida or washington go
0: i'm killing washington obviously because i need i love oh god i forget the name of the coffee shop across the way but there's like nutella lattes Ooh. and it's like you're taking that away from me i know i finally know how to get into the arena now, and the arena people that Are they work there? Write me letters, and they're like, Here's a map. When next time I was (laughs) someone followed me on Twitter and gave me a map, you're not going to get hospitality like that in Alexandria. So, killing that. I'm going to Mary, Florida. I mean, it's just, and there's, it's not that it should be in Miami, even though that could be a discussion, but I I know I keep it in South Florida, but at least put it near something. I mean, it's very, it's very much in like a strip mall type situation. It's like, there could be a better location for this. And like the Uber situation, just a little, it's just a little ridiculously out of the way when there's so much potential in that area for so much. And then I'm going to fuck Ottawa. I'm not that familiar with its game. Um, I do I don't know. Last time I went, it's kind of like, it's just going to be cold and snowy everywhere in Ottawa. Like I'm not really sure about like the Ottawa nightlife. So I don't know if I can really comment on this, but I know that a lot of Ottowonians want it downtown. So I will advocate for them.
2: I will kill the caps. I like that there's a couple teams in this league that have an arena in the city. I think it's a different vibe i think certain cities can call for that situation like new york and dc feel like very fitting cities to have this be in such a central area with great public transportation um so definitely kill that i will i'll fuck florida because i do feel like they've put a lot of money into that arena to make it what it is so i'll give them that It just feels like it's so inconvenient. And I understand Miami is super congested. So maybe they don't want to add to that. But it feels like if you can't even get through Miami traffic, then Mm -hmm. you have to get outside the city and now get to the arena. It just feels like I know they're doing well with attendance, And it really is. It's not that I just feel like it could be a better situation for the South Florida area. I think it just needs to be a little bit closer, even if they want it in more of a suburban area. That's fine. You don't have to be in the city. That's okay but be a little closer, be a little bit more convenient for the residents of Sunrise and for Miami. Like there's a middle ground to be had and I don't think they have it. So, but I'll, 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 I'll sorry, I'll marry Ottawa. Uh, Ottawa, like we've seen them have to put tarps up over seats because they have had empty seats in years past. And the location seems like to be the prime reason for that. It feels like this is an arena unlike Florida that could use you know, like a little bit more investment and a little bit love, more love. So instead of doing it to the arena that's in an inconvenient location, I would say bring it a little closer and closer to that downtown area. Again, even if you keep it in a suburban area, you can still be closer to everything and, and just a little bit more centralized. I think that's a step in the right direction. And the fact that I have new ownership gives me a little bit more hope that maybe that's going to be one of the changes that we see come in the next couple
1: of years. I am, of course, going to kill Washington. I'm going to... Marry Ottawa because if you, Sarah, did you ever cover a game in Ottawa
0: once? It was Hockey out in Canada. Oh, and the guys were so excited about it. I was like, I don't know you care this much.
1: <laughs> I, here's the thing we were talking about how an arena brings a city kind of a glow and brings a light to what the city's all about. Like the arena is out in the middle of nowhere, and unlike Florida, where Miami kind of gets by on being Miami and you know what Miami is about. Even if you don't stay nearby, like Ottawa gets the total shaft because if you stay by yeah. the arena, you have no, se- I finally for the exactly. first time in my career, looked out my hotel room when we were there this year. And I was like, Oh my God, I can actually see Ottawa. Like I could actually see the, the city skyline. So I think Ottawa is in desperate need. Um, and therefore I will fuck Florida because yes, that situation sucks. Um, but at least they are in Florida and they can get by on being in Florida, but they do need to move in my opinion. All right, my friends, that will bring this episode to a close. I already told you, if you don't already have your merch, if you don't already have your notebooks, your hats, anything, your mugs, your drinkware, it's holiday season. It's time to raise a spirit, a toast, a joyous beverage. Do it in a Too Many Men capsule of your choosing. You can find it all at Too toomanymenmerch.com com. Get what you need there. Follow us on the socials at two underscore much underscore man on the Instagram, on the Twitters. We are at two hyphen much hyphen man on the blue sky. Tell us what you want us to talk about. We might take a few mailbag questions here in the final weeks of the calendar year. That's insane. My mind is blown. But until we talk again, please, we implore you to help make the world and this specific world in which we live, the hockey world, just a little bit better by doing something, no matter how big or small, to make sure that hockey truly is for everyone. We will talk to you soon.
2: Love you. Bye.